Welcome to Dr. Oklahoma, a podcast that shines a light on uniquely Oklahoman health challenges and situations by chatting with integrous medical professionals who live here, work here, and are willing to lend their time and expertise to all of our listeners. Today we have Dr. Hamilton Lee, a weight loss surgeon at Integris, joining us. Dr. Lee, thank you for coming in today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You know, here in Oklahoma City, uh, weight loss is, is always an issue that we are surrounded in, uh, from our very own mayor putting the entire city onto a diet a few years ago to uh, the increased focus upon weight loss as being such an important part of, of a healthy lifestyle. Talk a little bit about the science behind the correct kind of diet and what it means for our bodies to ensure that we do have the right nutrition and the right kind of approach to the way we eat and fuel ourselves. Well, that's a big topic uh, to cover in this podcast, but uh, I'll try to do my best. I think when we're talking about diet in general, uh, for a lot of people, we uh, kind of get away from food and uh, beverage being nutrition, and uh, it is a way that oftentimes that we celebrate. So, it's, you know, this time of the year, it's holiday season, very common, then we do a lot of gatherings, and that's how we uh, socialize, right? So we break bed together. And it's about celebrating, but oftentimes it's very rich foods, very high sugar foods. Uh, we eat a lot of more processed foods now compared to maybe our ancestors. Uh, so I think the way we, even just how we produce food is much different nowadays. Um, so we're getting away from food being nutrition, and it's a way to either celebrate uh, fun things, but also, you know, when, when people are stressed, they eat, you know, you had a bad day at work, have some ice cream, have a cookie at the end of the day or whatever. Sure. Uh, and we just probably uh, overindulge too much. I'm certainly a big fan of moderation. Moderation is key in all things. So talk a little bit about moderation and how, you know, just the basics of portion size and the approach to, you know, those celebratory foods that we really have to watch at this time of year. I mean, how how do you, on a daily basis, ensure that you're not overstepping the mark, but you can give yourself that little treat now and again, as long as you kind of stick within the rules that you set for yourself? Sure. Probably start with, uh, many of us don't eat breakfast in the morning to start off with. It's probably one of the most important meals of the day. I think keeping your metabolism going is important. When you fast for too long of an extended time, the body can sort of slow down metabolism and go into storage mode. And so if you go from dinner and then you don't, you know, maybe skip lunch and only eat one meal a day, that can be detrimental to your metabolism because your body wants to save for that next meal. It doesn't quite understand that food is readily available. We're just not eating it. So our genetics are, are really designed for survival, having energy storage for that for the next meal. If we or our ancestors were cavemen and cavewomen kind of gathering food and you don't there was no guarantee that you're gonna eat again. So genetically speaking, if you're if you're able to put on weight, you have a genetic survival advantage compared to other people. So the ability to put on weight is really something that we need for survival. Um, unfortunately our genetics haven't really caught up to uh, what's available now. We have foods so available, whether it be frozen foods, delivery now with all the different uh, apps, Uber Eats and all these sort of things that you can have food at the at your fingertips delivered, right? Yeah. And food is really processed and made differently now. A lot more processed foods, um, much more rich and high, highly dense in, in caloric intake, um, a lot of sugar additives in our foods now, um, and also our, our beverages too. Think about uh, every Starbucks or, uh, you know, kind of juice place around town that we consume a lot of calories in between meals versus our grandparents probably didn't consume a lot of calories in between meals, right? including snacking and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So what are the chronic health issues that arise from you know having a, an obese population? What do you see 
on the increase and what are those conditions that are directly tied to sort of this obesity epidemic that we seem to be going through? I think some of the biggest challenges are going to be diabetes, which is probably the most associated with with uh, being overweight or obese. Um, also high blood pressure, so hypertension, um, heart disease, and also cancer, increased risk for cancer when you're overweight and obese. Uh, but diabetes is probably going to be the, have the strongest correlation connection with obesity. Those two are tightly associated with each other. Uh, but the good thing is also is if you can get your weight under better control, we see a lot of patients improve in their diabetes as well. So it's a, a, in, a, in a similar vein to giving up smoking, you can reduce the harm that you've done to yourself if you have been obese in the past by, by losing that weight. Oh, for sure. So your position on a vitamin supplement would be we're better to try and get those vitamins and minerals from the actual diet as opposed to taking those pills? If you can, but so few of us eat really a well-balanced meal, and a balanced diet in general. Uh, so I'm not opposed to supplements in general. I think it's healthy to take a multivitamin. Uh, but yes, in an ideal setting, I think if we were able to get all of our uh, micronutrients uh, from our food, we'd probably be better served. Uh, but few of us have a, a well-balanced diet enough to be able to, to get all the different supplements that we need. Sure. I think, you know, we've all either comforted ourselves or said it of other people that that person must be somehow genetically predisposed to being obese. Is, is that a thing? Is it true that some people truly are genetically predisposed to actually putting weight on easier than others? Sure. We see that. We even see that sometimes in families, um, within uh, fam- same family members, where they grew up in the same environment. Genetically, they're similar, but certain maybe siblings are more prone to put on weight. It's not necessarily any uh, fault of their own. They're growing up in a similar environment. Um, maybe they, they're eating the same food as other siblings, but they may have one sibling that is just prone genetically to put on weight. And again, it kind of goes back to that, uh, what we talked about, having that gene of survival to put on weight uh, as being a survival mechanism. We all need to eat, to breathe and sleep. We would all agree if you, if you stopped eating, eventually you would die. So the ability to store energy for the next day, so to speak, uh, or kind of have an extra money in the bank account for that, saving up for that rainy day, our body, some bodies are better at saving energy, just like some people are better saving money and having a, you know more in their checking and savings account than others versus people spending it through. So it's interesting. It's almost like a reverse Darwinism that's going on, is, is those that have been able to put on weight easily have been the ones that survived to a certain point, but society and, and the technological revolution, agricultural revolution, has put us in a position where that was no longer something that helped you. That's now become something that actually hinders exactly. your survival. I mean, that's perfectly well said. Um, and if you look at even in, in nowadays, uh, the rise of the middle class in other countries, when you look at India and China, as the middle class grows in some of these other countries, you also incre- see a uh, parallel increase in obesity in these countries because there's more money to spend to go out to eat and eat fast food. And we also see when we export uh, different types of American culture, when you go to mainland China now, one of the biggest, most popular places to eat is Kentucky Fried Chicken. And Burger King, those are huge chains that are growing worldwide, also in the Middle East. So when uh, places like, again, China need a middle class increases, they got more money to spend, they're going out to eat and doing things like that, you also see increase in um, obesity. Yeah, it certainly is. It's an issue across the world. There's no question about it. Yeah, really kind of first world problems. Yes, they are. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. They are first world problems. So... 
you know, there, there are so many different ways to approach dieting. There's any number of branded diets. There's ketogenic diets. There's... The billion-dollar industry spent, you know, billions of dollars per year spent on, on this diet industry. Right. And yet, you know, you're in a position daily where you have people coming to you that uh, you are ready and willing to help in both as a, your position as a physician and as a surgeon. And yet, my experience in the conversations we've had before, those people are also instructed to be put onto a weight loss course of some sort, a diet that will bring their weight down effectively in a relatively short term. Action needs to be taken. So give us a feeling for what that entails, because that has to be the most sound medical approach, certainly, I would imagine, to losing weight. What is it that the doctors do? Well, I mean, I think when I look at uh, diet education and just really being promoting healthy weight, it's a continuum, right? So people that see me are sort of at the extreme end. There are typically at least 100 pounds over where, what they ideally should weigh. And so in the sense that they're seeing me, they need an extra tool. But I think before we get to the, back to that, um, uh, before we get to that surgical part, uh, working with your family doctor, maybe sitting down and getting a referral to, to sit down with a dietitian is, is invaluable. Um, because we certainly do that with our surgical patients. They work with not only me as their surgeon to prepare for surgery, but their family doctor to make sure they're optimized as far as their other health problems. But they also spend uh, an intensive amount of time with our dietitians, re-educating themselves about what is a healthy diet, whether it be learning about different macronutrients, the difference between fats and proteins and carbohydrates, um, learning how to read food labels too. So if we're, if we're buying food that maybe some stuff is processed, um, learning, being educated consumers, um, because we live in a society that really promotes consumerism, whether it be consuming food or media or technology and those sort of things, right? That's how companies, when they are selling you a product, they want you to buy more of it and enjoy it, however that may be. And so that includes the food companies. They don't necessarily want you to uh, maybe avoid uh, these certain foods, they're selling you a product. So if, if you like it and you buy more of it, the, the, at the end of the day, the food companies are going to make more money too, right? So a lot of times, um, you know, very tasty foods are, are typically high sugar, maybe high calorie foods. You enjoy them and that's why you want to buy them and purchase them again. Um, so it's a really continuum, I think, uh, when it comes to diet education. As far as uh, is there a magic bullet when it comes to eating, uh, obviously there's not because, uh, you know, somebody would have figured that out very, someone much smarter than me would have figured that out by now and won a Nobel Prize. But I think uh, you look at um, different societies in the world where people live and have longevity. They call them uh, sort of blue zones uh, where we talk about like in Okinawa, Japan and some parts of uh, in uh, Sardinia and Greece. And you look at these people and talk about these Mediterranean diets and whatnot. Um, and we think, oh, these people eat a more plant-based diet, typically less uh, processed foods and less uh, protein, so uh, animal proteins. Uh, but it's more than just that too, right? They're much more communal. Uh, their stress levels in these communities is much different than compared to our American society. It's not always go, go, go. And the stress level and just sort of being connected all the time with the Internet and, and the stress of jobs and this and that, is, it's a much different level. Uh, when you look at the society and, uh, and just how, how overall, not just what they eat, but how they live. Right. 
Would you say, though, that, um, that certain aspects of those diets, for instance, high omega-3 fatty acids in, in the fish, obviously sardinia, I always think of sardines, but that is obviously a part of that diet. Obviously, the Japanese diet as well, you know, very high in, in seafoods. And, and th- there must be trends that you, you can recognise in the blue zones that you can point to and say, well, that's a hint for us here and that's yeah. a hint for us here. They tend to eat less red meat than we do in America, uh, m- many much, much more vegetable-based and when I say vegetables, uh, we want to make sure that we know that a potato is not a vegetable. It's a starch, right? A lot of us consider it a vegetable per se, but they eat less starches in general. So they're eating uh, more fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, much more fish-based uh, diet society, um, legumes, so beans and things like that, um, and uh, just overall probably less consumption of um, high-sugar drinks. Um, like soda pop and things like that, uh, which we tend to drink more in, in a Western society. Right. So they, they influence the decisions that you make with patients and the decisions that the dietitians will make. I mean, that kind of research and that kind of uh, feedback is a part of the planning for dieting over here, I'd for imagine. Sure. We try to encourage patients to typically, uh, in our sense, uh, higher protein, low carb. It doesn't have to be uh, necessarily red meat. Uh, but obviously you want some variability in your diet because people get tired of eating the same thing over and over. Uh, and usually, typically, pair a, a protein with a, a couple non-starch vegetables. Right. Getting away from drinking um, sugar beverages, so water and unsweetened tea, and then uh, physical activity. And so, really, try to tie in at least with our program. Uh, when you look at it, uh, the surgery, the dietitian, we also talk about physical activity being important. Uh, everyone sits down with a psychologist, actually, too, as they prepare for surgery to kind of talk about stress management. Um, so I think all those things obviously tie in to health and wellness. So I'm not just worried about their weight, but their their weight is just on a one part of their overall health picture. Sure. You know, you talk about the continuum and you also, of course, talked about this time of year and, and we get to that New Year's Eve and the resolutions that are made. But talk a little about the continuum and how if somebody is about to attempt to make a commitment to lose some weight... How far forward do you plan this? Do you give yourself a weekly goal? Do you give yourself a monthly goal? How, how do you continue through the journey and keep yourself motivated and, and plan it ahead? That's a great question. So I typically when I see somebody who comes in, we will talk about kind of where they're starting off at. And I, I know where we want to take them. It's like taking directions anywhere on Google Maps. You, gotta have to, you have to figure out kind of where your starting point is, where you want to end up to, to kind of get directions right. So... And I do try to have patients break it down to, you know, to sort of intervals. So give it a month. If you are drinking soda pop, all right, set a, set a time or a date, you know, that, all right, in a month's time, I'm going to give up soda completely. So if I'm drinking six sodas a day, at, you know, at two weeks in, I'm going to break it down and start weaning myself down to three sodas per day. And so I do like encouraging patients to kind of wean themselves off of whatever vices they have and sort of set a stop date. Um, and that way they can kind of break it down. I think it's overwhelming if they come in and you sit down with a dietitian and say, all right, you got to get up soda pop. You can't have, uh, you know, X, Y, Z, all these foods and do it all at once. It's very hard for humans, human beings to, uh, to kind of do all at once. It can be overwhelming. Some people can cold turkey. Some people yeah, can't. I think that's too hard to ask of people, though, uh, because as humans in general, we like patterns of behavior. Uh, we shop at the same place, same day and time. You know, we get up at the same time. So we like patterns. Um, so change is difficult. So the fact that I'm asking you to do, you know, this, we have to look at the long-term, you know, goals for years down the road. And so not focus on making a bunch of changes overnight. I think that's really hard to do, especially when you have patterns of behavior that have been going on for years. Sure. 
But when you do get to that point where clearly the efforts have gone in as far as weight management is concerned and, and as far as fitness and, and diet are concerned, but you get to that point of surgical intervention. So explain what that point is, when that decision is made, and, and what kind of options are available to, to patients uh, when, when it comes to, to that part of a weight loss journey. Uh, that's a great question. So I think for everybody, it's a little bit different. It's sort of a light going off at some point for them personally that they're that they've decided, you know, I've done everything that I can medically speaking as far as medical weight loss. Sit down with a, a dietitian. I've tried changing my eating habits. Um, I've gone to a trainer. I've talked to a, a physician, my family doctor, and, and managed all my medications. And at what point uh, do I consider surgery? Um, from a uh, sort of overall objective standpoint, typically about 100 pounds over what you should weigh. There's a formula where we can figure someone's what's called their body mass index or BMI, and we can punch in their height and weight and figure out what that is. And it, there's some guidelines that we give for which when uh, it's appropriate for surgery. But I think as an individual, for many of my patients, I talk to them and uh, they have a sort of a moment when they have decided, you know what, enough is enough. And that could be first time they're sitting down with their family doctor and they're, they're being told, now you've been diagnosed with diabetes or you now have high blood pressure or no, we're having to put you on a third medication. Or it could be a social event. You, you have, uh, you know, you sit down on an airplane and you're ask, having to ask for a seatbelt extender so you can, um, you know, buckle up. Or, you know, I've heard stories where, you know, patients tells me they go to Frontier City and they get on, on a ride and they can't lock down the, the ride and they're asked to step off. That's mortifying. So I think everybody has sort of their aha moment where they're like, you know what, I've done everything that I can. Um, I need to really find a different intervention, a tool to help me. So let's talk about those interventions. What, what, what is there available? So surgery does provide uh, patients an opportunity to sort of hit the reset button uh, on their metabolism. Um, and um, again, as far as number-wise, it's typically you know 50 to 100 pounds over what you should weigh based on some charts and, and what's the, called the body mass index. And we typically sit down with patients and uh, go over the different surgical options. We've got a little online seminar that patients can watch or they can come in person and meet me and ask questions. Uh, but it's really an information session to allow them to explore what options are available as far as surgeries are concerned. Um, we've got a couple options of surgeries. Uh, depending on the patient and how much weight they need to lose, um, some of their health problems and what medications they're on. But we offer um, the uh, classic laparoscopic gastric bypass, and the other one uh, very popular now is the laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy. Those are the, probably the two most popular operations in the U.S. Uh, there's a couple other uh, variations of different type of weight loss surgery, but those are probably the two prominent ones uh, in the U.S. currently. And what is the recovery like? Um, so nowadays, uh, we do surgery laparoscopic, so the little keyhole incisions typically end up with six small uh, little incisions, uh, incisions on the abdomen. It's done under general anesthesia, so you're out for uh, completely out for it. Uh, surgery times are fairly short, an hour and a half for a gastric bypass and typically less than an hour for a sleeve gastrectomy. Um, you're typically in the hospital one to two nights, and then uh, we normally recommend about two weeks off from work, so the downtime's not too bad. So the, just in layman's terms, what is the basic effect of the surgeries? How do they actually help you begin to lose weight? Um, so kind of the most basic gist is for a uh, laparoscopic gastric bypass is we're going to make a small stomach pouch 
and then we actually bypass a portion of the uh, intestines where digestion is really being delayed. It's as if you were to drive down I-35 and you got off on the feeder road and were driving on the access road, but your miles on your on your car, your odometer, were not really rolling at the same time. So anytime you're on that access road, you're not gaining any miles. And then when you get back on the highway, that's when your miles start to roll again. So sort of thing, same thing with digestion. In that bypass part of the small intestine, as that food's going down there, it's not mixing with all the other chemicals that you need from your stomach and liver and pancreas. So digestion is delayed, so to speak. Um, so that's sort of an analogy of how a bypass would work. Um, in a sleeve gastrectomy, we're actually decreasing the size of the stomach. So I'll take that highway analogy again. Imagine you're driving down the highway and it's four lanes. That's your stomach currently. A lot of food can go through there. Well, we're going to actually remove a portion, a significant portion of the stomach, about 80% of it, and it's going to go from a four-lane road to down to a one-lane road. Uh, so when you sit down to eat, it's not going to take much for, for somebody to get full. Uh, and you feel satisfied at a, at a smaller volume of food, and uh, and that uh, decreases your overall portions. We also take away, when you take away that part of the stomach, there's uh, some hormones that are made in the stomach. Uh, one is made called ghrelin. Ghrelin is sort of that hunger hormone. It's the signal to your brain that you're hungry. So imagine, if you're, again, if you're driving and you take your foot off the pedal, gas pedal, you're naturally going to slow down uh, the car. You don't have to step on the brakes. So imagine if we can just take away that drive to eat. You're not thinking about food as much. You're not hungry all the time. You know, I see a lot of meet a lot of patients that tell me, Doc, no matter how much I eat, I still feel hungry, even after eating. And I know I shouldn't be, but I'm just hungry all the time. So they, uh, when they undergo sleeve gastrectomy, they will tell you the opposite. They almost have to remind themselves to eat at times. Uh, so that's basically how those the surgeries work. Again, their tools they have to be paired with uh, eating the appropriate foods, making sure you're eating appropriate times, um, and really, you know, everything else, taking good care of yourself, making sure you get good sleep, physical activity, all those things. So I always remind patients, it's just a tool. If you don't use it right, uh, it won't work either. Lovely way to end it up. (laughs) Well, that was fascinating as always. Dr. Lee, thank you for coming in today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And to our listeners, join us next time, where we'll be busy getting a doctor's advice on how to stay healthy so we can continue living and loving life in our great state, right here on Dr. Oklahoma. 